0: Let's pray and ask God to help us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do thank and praise you for your mercy and kindness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this morning that we might understand uh, what your word here in Exodus says and how it applies to us. And we pray that you'll work in us by your Spirit so that we put into practice what we learn so that we live as your people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to shut this door. I remember uh, when I was about, uh, about 13 years old, my mum let me go to a tennis training camp. As part of the camp, there was a tournament. It was a mixed doubles round robin tournament. Now, all the other kids in the tournament were way older than me, around 16 or so. And back at the age of 13, I wasn't the strikingly tall and well-built man you see before you. I was, uh, I was very small and skinny. And to try to make the tournament fair, they picked the best girl player with the boy they thought would be worst. Uh, They took one look at me, they thought I would be the worst, and so they gave me as my partner the best girl player. She was great. Uh, And the thing is, I actually wasn't all that bad either. I was a bit better than I looked. Anyway, the rest is history. We were the dream team. (laughs) We worked together beautifully. We flogged everyone, didn't even drop a set, barely dropped a game. And we went home as champions, trophy in hand. One of my finest moments. Uh, Something really nice about playing as a team. You can achieve what you couldn't achieve by yourself. Uh, It's also part of why I love to play in the band on the occasions when they let me, particularly in the 10.30 service when they're really desperate. Um, Listening to myself on the guitar is a pretty painful experience, Uh, but in the band everyone else drowns me out, I sound great. And uh, there's just a really nice vibe about it, as you're playing together in time reasonably so as you're playing in harmony teamwork it's a beautiful thing it enables you to do together more than you can by yourself as we come to this next section in exodus there are two stories two stories that we're presented with and in each story israel are confronted by foreigners by non-israelites first we meet some people from the tribe of Amalek, some Amalekites. And for some reason that we're not told, the Amalekites attack Israel. They attack them. They're they're trying to be a curse to Israel, to destroy Israel. Have a look with me. Exodus chapter 17 and verse 8. Exodus chapter 17 and, uh, and verse 8. Everyone with me? 17, 8. Okay, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. In response, Moses sends in an army, led by a man called Joshua. We meet Joshua here for the first time. This is the the famous Joshua, gets a book named after him later on, uh, comes to to lead Israel. Well, Joshua here leads the army. And meanwhile, Moses is going to call on the power of God with that staff of his, you know, the staff that God told him, not to forget in that famous interview at the the burning bush, that staff that represents the the, the power of God at work. So verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Now as the battle pans out, we see that as long as God is calling on God's power with the staff raised in the air, the Israelites are winning. That if he drops his hands if he lowers his hands they start to lose so he gets Aaron his brother and Hur another guy we're introduced to for the first time and uh, they help Moses keep his hands up until Israel win the victory have a look with me verse 10 verse 10 so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered and Moses Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill as long as Moses held up his hands the Israelites were winning but whenever he lowered his hands the Amalekites were winning When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, the other one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And then God gives his verdict, his his verdict on the Amalekites. He says, they have cursed God's people, and so now, in turn, they will be cursed. God will wipe them out, he says. And this happened, by the way, historically under the reign of King David later on. Verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an old altar and called it, The Lord is my banner, he said, For hands were we'll lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. To generation now for those of you who know your Bibles you'll recognize here that God is keeping his promise to Abraham on your outline there I've put the famous verses from Genesis chapter 12 we've looked at them a couple of times they've been picked up in this in this Exodus narrative and notice here what God said would happen to those who curse Abraham's descendants and to those who bless them on your outline there can you see it the Lord had said to Abram you with me there left hand side third of the way down the Lord had said to Abram leave your country your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you I will make your name great and you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you here it is being worked out Here it is being worked out. Abraham's descendants have become a great nation, like he promised. They're on their way to the land, like he promised. The Amalekites now have come to curse the descendants of Abraham, and now they are under the curse of God. Interesting little fulfillment of the promise. But also, what strikes me about this passage, the other thing that strikes me about this passage, is the way that Moses needs help. In a way that he perhaps didn't in, in, in the plagues and in the Red Sea and so on. He can't do this alone. He needs Joshua to lead the troops. He needs Aaron and Hur to help him with the staff. And of course, all, of course, above all, he and the Israelites need God to help them. That's, that's what the whole staff in the air thing symbolizes. Moses cannot go it alone. He needs a team around him. Oh, that's the first story, the Amalekites. The second story, this time in chapter 18, again a story about a meeting with a foreigner, with foreigners, this time foreigner from the nation of Midian. It's Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. He's come to bring Moses' wife and children back. Seems Moses had sent them home, probably, I guess, to keep him out of harm's way with all the stuff that was happening. Uh, unlike the Amalekites, Jethro comes to bless Israel. He hears about how God has saved Israel. He's delighted. And then through his contact with Israel, Jethro is blessed. He comes to recognise the true God, to see that the true God is the most powerful God. He comes to worship the true God. He comes to share fellowship with his people. Jethro, in blessing God's people, is blessed. Pick it up, chapter 18 and verse 5. 18, 5. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the desert where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the lord is greater than all other gods for he did this to those who had treated israel arrogantly then jethro moses father-in-law brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to god and aaron came with all the elders of israel to eat bread with moses father-in-law in in the presence of god can you see it's genesis 12 being worked out again isn't it jethro blesses abraham's descendants and God blesses him, and through the descendants of Abraham now, the blessing of the knowledge of the true God is reaching the nations. Uh, but now, in a similar way to the first story, we come back to the issue of teamwork. Moses, he, he's judging Israel, but he's trying to act as judge by himself. It's getting beyond him. You can see it in verse 13, verse 13. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood round him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand round you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. It's all getting too much for Moses and Jethro can see it. Uh, with the eyes of a father-in-law, the eyes of an outsider, he can see it. And so he gives Moses some wise advice. Yes, it's possible to get wise advice from fathers-in-law. He says, basically, get some help. Get some help. Get a team around you to do the work. That'll be much more effective. Verse 17. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I'll give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. Have them serve serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. They will make your load lighter because they'll share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. It's good advice, sensible advice. And Moses takes it, verse 24. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel, made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. Okay, well, there's the passage. Do you, do you, see, uh, do you see what's happening in this section of Exodus? Couple of issues. Couple of issues. First, you've got the issue of contact with the nations, uh, with non-Israelites. And we see God at work keeping his promises to Abraham. Uh, we see those who curse Israel are cursed. Those who bless israel are blessed but then the secondary the second issue the issue of teamwork moses he, he can't keep going it alone he needs a team around him well, as we come into the new testament uh, both of these issues are quite significant both of these issues they are developed and they are fulfilled in, in very interesting ways so let's look at them both let's start with the blessing and cursing idea and then we'll move on to the teamwork idea see where we're going first we we'll look at blessing and cursing in the new testament and then teamwork idea in the new testament okay blessing and cursing in the new testament we find out that god's promise to abraham's descendants applies to those who trust in jesus on your outline there from galatians chapter 3 you see where i am now top of the right hand side This is Paul writing to Christians, including non-Israelite Christians, Gentile Christians, and he says this. He says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Do you get what that's saying there? If you belong to Christ, if you are relying on Jesus, trusting in him as your Lord and Savior, then you are an heir of the promise to Abraham. The promise to Abraham is a promise to you. It applies to you. Do you know what that means? Well, It means a lot of things, but among other things, it means this. It means that those who bless Jesus' people are blessed, but those who curse Jesus' people are cursed. Those who bless Jesus' people are blessed, but those who curse Jesus' people are cursed. The same as with the descendants of Abraham here in Exodus. Now, did you notice that in our second reading? There's Jesus on the day of judgment, uh, separating the sheep from the goats. He says to the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. He says to the goats, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Two vastly different fates. And then they receive their reward or punishment. And did you notice what it's based on? Did you notice what it was based on? it was what they had done for Jesus people those who bless Jesus people are blessed those who curse Jesus people are cursed as Jesus puts it very significant words Jesus says whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine you did it for me friends here's the point how you treat Jesus people matters jesus takes his people very seriously and he takes how you treat his people very seriously i know when you actually get to know jesus people they're very ordinary with all the ordinary failings and troubles and struggles of life but jesus takes his people and he takes how you treat his people very very seriously just like here in exodus god blesses those who bless his people and curses those who curse them you know i reckon that must be a great comfort for christians who are suffering persecution Who are being mocked or uh, or facing trouble for their faith in jesus it must be a great comfort because jesus knows what is happening and the day will come when he'll put it right must be a comfort for people like that i reckon it should be a profound comfort to us as well what we do for jesus people has eternal value what we do for jesus people has eternal value even if no one else notices what you do even if no one appreciates what you do here on earth. Jesus sees. And Jesus appreciates it. It is a comfort, don't you think? And it kind of puts things in a slightly bigger perspective as you do stuff for God's people. It should be real comfort, but it should also be a challenge. Now, I know that if we trust in Jesus, we're not the goats in this passage, but, but still I think we can learn from this. We need to be very careful how we treat Jesus' people we would not want to curse Jesus people by by gossip for example or by slander or by mistreating God's people or neglecting God's people no way no way we, we wouldn't want to be cursing Jesus people we ought to bless Jesus people with our words with our time with our money with our love Jesus says whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine you did For me, for me. That's the first point. That's the first point, blessing and cursing. That brings us to the second aspect of this passage in Exodus, the idea of teamwork. Now, Moses couldn't do it alone. He couldn't be Israel's saviour by himself. He needed a team around him. Now, in one sense, uh, this is one of the ways that Moses is unlike Jesus. Jesus did have to go it alone. No one followed Jesus to the cross. No one could join him. Everyone deserted Jesus. He, he was left to die alone, to, to bear the sin of the world for, for, for us by himself. In that sense, Jesus is unlike Moses and is part of the, the tragedy of the, the desertion of the disciples and so on. Jesus, Jesus alone is our saviour. But then in another sense, in another sense we can learn from Moses here because your average Christian is not Jesus, and your average Christian leader is not Jesus. And, and when Jesus calls us to be part of His people, He calls us to be a team. Now, Jesus has given us His church a task here on this earth, to to be participating with Him in His mission of bringing everything under His lordship, and He wants us to do it. He wants us to do it as a team. On your outline there, have a look at this passage from Ephesians. Notice the goal of church. Notice the role of pastors and teachers. And notice how each member of the church has their part to play. You see it there? I'm now two-thirds of the way down the right-hand side, or halfway down the right-hand side. It was Jesus who gave some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Friends, here's the point. The Christian life, the Christian church, is not an individual effort. Church is a team effort. A ministry is not just for ministers. Okay, put a bloke in a dress, it doesn't mean now he can do the ministry. Ministry is for all Christians, as each part does its work. I suspect there are many people who think that church is all about what they can get out of it. Did I have an experience of worship? Did I learn something? Did people welcome me? Did people look after me? Did people make me happy? That's not the picture here in the Bible, is it? Here in the Bible, it's all about you coming to do your part. The church grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Friends, I hope you do learn something from church week by week. I hope you are welcomed. I hope you do have an experience of worship. But that is not the thing to be looking for. The thing to be looking for is how you can serve, how you can serve God, how you can serve His people. How you can play your part on the team. And so to, to misquote John F. Kennedy, ask not what your church can do for you, ask what you can do for your church. I think that's uh, some people's thinking about church. I think also people have, uh, have uh, views about ministers and ministry. They, they, particularly I think on the North Shore, you, you pay your plumber to do your plumbing for you. You pay your minister to do your ministry for you. Uh, but that's not what the Bible says here. Do you notice the job that pastors are given here in this passage? Do you notice the job? To prepare God's people for works of service. In other words, you are paying Warren and me to keep you busy, to to, to give you more stuff to do, to, to equip you. It's our job to help you do your job as Christians better. The more effectively involved you are in serving God and his people, well, then the better the job we are doing. Our job is not so much about doing, our job is about equipping you to do. Do do you get the distinction? Okay, let's get practical. Let's think about our church for a minute. How are we going here as a church at Chatswood Presbyterian? How are we going as a team? Look, I think there are some good things happening here. Uh, We are, first of all, as somebody called us the other day, the roster church. We're a church full of rosters. Okay, I know rosters are a pain, you just have to fulfill them, I have to write them and Warren has to write them. I know rosters are a pain, but, but the beauty of rosters is they represent teamwork, don't they? It would be a whole heap easier for me to do it myself. Writing a roster is a pain in the neck, but I reckon there must be nearly a hundred people now that are involved in our three services, leading, praying, reading the Bible, welcoming, doing morning tea, doing supper, so on. That's great. That's fantastic, that's what, the way it should be. And we have lots of people who help out. Uh, I don't know anything about the computer or the sound system or anything anymore, other people do it. The committee of management does a great job with our property, with our finances. Uh, Liz Teak, Lynn Breeze in particular, work very hard doing a great job looking after our money. Uh, our elders doing a good job looking after people. Most of them are involved in Bible studies, leading Bible studies, pastoring people, looking after you through the Bible studies week after week, uh, as well as, they, as meeting monthly month by month to plan strategy our elders are working hard we have lots of kids church leaders we have lots of youth group leaders admittedly we do pay a number of them but still it's a case of teamwork uh, last sunday night i came to church and we had our youth group service and it was superb i think one of the best services we've had this year heaps of people were here i think it was nearly 90 people i think uh, the youth group did a great job great sermon and i had nothing to do with any of it I was just sitting there quietly in the corner. I had nothing to do with preparing it, nothing to do with organising it, nothing to do with participating in it. I sat there and i got to admit I gave myself a little me- mental pat on the back. I thought, Jeff, you are utterly irrelevant. <laughs> Nobody would even notice if you weren't here. that is a beautiful thing. Now, there are lots of ways that we are working as a team here in our church and that's, that's just in church. I know that many people then go out to serve God in other contexts as well. But still, of course, and there always has to be a but, doesn't there? A little bite. Uh, there are ways we can improve, aren't there? Still lots of things that aren't being done. Uh, poor Laurie. Now, Laurie, you might want to wave your hand because I'm going to uh, tell people to come to you in a minute. Poor Laurie has only two men on his lawn mowing roster. In the whole church, two men can manage to mow lawns. I reckon... If you can mow a lawn, mow a lawn. If you can't and you feel guilty, give him 60 bucks and tell him to pay for a lawn lawnmower. All right? uh, it's just not, not happening. Not happening. And, and as in all churches, it's the 80-20 rule. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. As in all churches, most of the work is being done just by a few people and lots of people, hate to say it, but you're just along for the ride. You get the benefits of church, but you don't contribute to the team. Now if that is you... You need to think very carefully about what you are doing. You need to think, what part am I playing in the team? Come and talk to me about it. Plenty to do, believe me. There's plenty to do. I think there are ways we can improve. I think uh, there are ways that uh, Warren and I can improve as pastors as well. We could do a better job, I think, equipping you for service. Uh, Last year, um, we did that training series on how to share your faith. This year, I think we're going to try and do that uh, more and more. We're going to do training seminars on how to read the Bible better in church how to pray in church, uh, training seminars on welcoming people. And it's all meant to help equip you for works of service. I hope it'll encourage you and uh, make you feel more confident about being involved. Friends, friends, church is not like David Jones. You don't come here, pay your money and get your staff. No, no, it's more like joining a team. You come here to play your part in a team. Like Moses needed a team, we need each other to be a team. So... So let me ask you this. Is that what you are thinking as you come to church each week? I I know you're having a fight with your wife and your kids are being naughty in the back and you're not thinking about anything as you come to church, but, but if you were thinking about something on the way to church, would that be what you were thinking? All right? Would you be thinking as you're on your way, here is a time for me to serve God's people. Here is a time when I can encourage them by the way I participate, actively listening, singing up, By by the way, I talk to people before church because I've arrived 10 minutes early. By by the way, I can talk to people after church at morning tea because I'll stick around even if I am busy. I'll stick around and and take the opportunity to bless God's people and talk to God's people. Uh, Is this an opportunity for me to speak the truth in love? Friends, is that the way you're thinking? Are you coming to serve? That's the attitude we should have, isn't it? We should play our part in the team so that together we can be the dream team. We can do way more than we could ever do by ourselves so that together, by God's grace, we can become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Well, Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your mercy and kindness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he alone is our Saviour and that through him we are blessed We thank and praise you, Heavenly Father, that you have called us not to be just individuals, but to be your body here on earth. We pray that by your grace you will help us each to play our part, to use the gifts that you have given us, to serve faithfully and fruitfully. And so we pray that we may grow together and attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We pray this in the power of your spirit and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.